like to share a few facts with you. The world's leading producer of child pornography is located in the basement of the Pentagon. The big three television networks are all owned and operated by a right-wing church in Atlanta. Welcome to Extended Clip, Episode 6, A Podcaster's Podcast, as we've been described. Mm. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm another one of the hosts. I'm Malcolm Baum. I host the podcast. I'm the last host, uh, JT White. And as the the host and producer, I feel that I should come out, just full disclosure right here. We we recorded half of this episode, and then I realized that JT was the only one whose mic was turned up. Or it was turned up. It was some fucked up shit on Audacity. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, we let's. you want to do a recap of the last one? <laughs> so we started with some like incredibly funny shit and then we dropped some really hot takes that would like offend some people yeah uh, i think they towed the line just enough yeah to still like we're respectable you know mm-hmm. but like some of the more uh reactionary people will dunk on us for that true well you know i, I don't fear them in fact i say come at me yeah i think we can reclaim some of the glamour <laughs> of that last step we yeah. still have it in us. Yeah. So one thing we actually did do was we kind of changed up the format because uh, these guys came over right when I was finishing up Postal by Uwe Boll. And uh, yeah, so we're kind of fresh on that one. So we're just going to start with the B movie today. But today we are here to talk about Robert Brisson's The Devil Probably, 1977 masterpiece, one of the all-time great films, uh, the poster of which is my longtime Twitter avatar. And our second film, related by uh, a lot of themes, is Postal by Uwe Boll, 2007, adaptation of video game by the same name. Mm-hmm. This is our nihilism episode. You know, this is, we're really diving to the depths of nihilism, and there's there's a lot of paths we could take, and I think these movies are representative of a couple paths we could walk down when it comes to that. Yeah, I, we're going to get really dark in this one. I'm not even looking at the others. I just uh, <laughs> have my bangs over my eyes. I'm just staring at my feet. Mm-hmm. I'm not holding any uh, bars or no hold bars. or How does that saying? I'm not <laughs> I'm not holding anyone's balls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm doing, basically. I'm really, it's, I'm ready to tackle any subject right now. Well, the subject that we're tackling first is, of course, terrorism. Damn. Yeah, it's a stat. It's a sad state of affairs in the United States of America in 2007. You hate to see it. Yeah. 9/11 fever has swept <laughs> the nation. Just everyone's going crazy because 9/11 <laughs> happened in 07. Still. <laughs> so yeah, the the movie Postal opens on the 9/11 attacks, and uh, it's these two terrorist pilots. And they're talking, you know, they're having a uh, having a little bit of a witty banter, a little bickering going on mm-hmm. before they crash the plane into the towers about how many versions they're going to get after they freaking sacrifice themselves. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a classic bit. I've I've heard it done many times before. Maybe Ahmed the dead terrorist indulged in this premise. Yeah, yeah. I think pretty much like all the comedians. For those they, not uh, yeah. in the know, you know, for those not comedy heads. <laughs> Uh, Ahmed the Dead Terrorist is a uh, character by the ventriloquist known as Jeff Dunham. True. I thought he was in this movie or something like, but I guess he wasn't. No, but this was this would be perfect timing actually. Seventh mm-hmm. grade is when uh, my school 2007. I was in seventh grade and my school definitely had Dunham fever. You know, <laughs> they showed that at the schools to the children. They showed them the puppet special with Osama bin Laden. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, they they want to bail. This is a uh, an. E- 
an early look into kind of the, the both sides kind of mm-hmm. attacking that Bull's doing. They decide not to do the terrorist attack, but these fucking fat Americans always just uh, acting all crazy. You know, uh, they they try to thwart the terrorist attack in a, uh, a Mark Wahlbergian <laughs> scenario, but they actually crash it right into the freaking towers, and that's when you get the title card. Mm-hmm. Postal. Yeah, it's real. It's it's a bold choice, and he makes a lot more bold choices throughout the movie. Yeah, on the uh, on the poster it says that it's like live action South Park. I guess that's like a blurb from a review, and it it really does have the same kind of political agenda as what we would later see in like Obama era South Park. Uh, the real you know libertarian, both sides are freaking messed up, spendocrats mm-hmm. and the Republicans, you know. Though I would argue Bull Bull has a big anti-capitalist streak within the movie. I'd he's he's probably I wouldn't say he's a libertarian. Well, maybe he is, and I don't know what the fuck he is in real. I he's probably fucking Nasball, but like uh, <laughs> he's not anti-capital though. He's against like corporate consumer. Yeah, he's no. against consumer trends. No, totally. It's it's very it's like it's yeah it's like to call it anti-capitalism. I guess is kind of a stretch. It's yeah. like his. I would like to. Yeah, you know, if it was a better movie, I would have totally said it was anti-capitalism. It's anti. Yeah, it's well, it's anti the things that capitalism produces. Um, yeah. which which. To say it's like I'm not say, I'm not trying to give him some complexity here. I think like the deepest commentary he come up with, you know, anti-consumerism. You know, that could be represented by some real big old fat people. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, this consumerism. So like, that's about the extent of his uh, his leftist politics. Go is hating fat people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's very unfortunate. The protagonist who goes by Postal Dude could be because he's a dude who go postal. He <laughs> has uh, a rather large wife and it's just like, you know, you already saw the Islamophobic stuff and then you just cut right into the, you know, oh God, I have this fat ass wife, man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really just some of the most hateful stuff. You could tell Uwe Boll definitely has a no fat chick sign in his like dude lounge, his man cave. <laughs> Yeah, the first act I feel like really drags like that right away. I mean, there are like there are very few redeeming parts of this uh picture, but once it gets into like the fun and games of it, I think like there's like a a glimmer of something. Oh, for sure. Once mm-hmm. you're kind of getting a sense of the community, it approaches. And when I say approaches, it really is moving at 1 mile an hour towards this, but kind of that Southland Tales energy of getting this kind of canvas of this city. And it's not a real city. You know, that's why Southland Tales is so good. It's about Los Angeles representing kind of the whole world. This is about this fictional town called Paradise representing America. And, you know, you meet these two old guys who it kind of is like the guys that are hanging out on the lawn chairs in Do the Right Thing. Uh, or the yeah. Muppets. The Muppets old guys. Oh, the old oh, guys yeah. and the Muppets yeah, yeah, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Seymour Castle is one of them. He's, you know, in some Wes Anderson movies and stuff. Mm. Cassavetes as well. Mm. And so he is degraded to uh, calling himself the Mayo Truck because of what <laughs> he would do to certain young women that pass by. Which is one of the better lines in the movie. Honestly, I, yeah, I got yeah. a legit laugh yeah. out of that. Yeah. Who's the other actor? I know he plays the the old Lebowski and the big Lebowski. David Huddleston. Oh, yeah. David Huddleston. The big Lebowski. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. So, yeah, it, it doesn't actually have that Southland Tales feeling, but it's like approaching the end of the world and getting a glimpse of a canvas of like a city while you're doing it. 
And so you meet, and you know, you get some police brutality, all la Southland tales. But it's no John Lovitz, you know. It's no John Lovitz <laughs> saying "flow my tears." Uh, it's really just like you know, a black officer shoots an old Chinese, you know. They say she's Chinese. I don't know, an Asian lady. Yeah. Uh, because she's like taking too long to turn at a light, and yeah. like uh, when she's speaking, you know, you can't even hear her. But the officer says, oh, you know, she said the N-word, so he shoots her. Yeah. And then everyone's, like, cheering him on. You know? Yeah. It, that's when you you kind of get the glimpse of, oh, this is some real gamer shit. Like, yeah. this is definitely in a video game. Yeah. There's some, yeah, and it's striking how, like, uh, yeah, it's definitely very gamer, like, how he kills her. And it's very, you know, nihilistic. But there's, like, some some touches to this movie that makes me, like, I that make me think, like, it's, it's trying to go for some otherworldliness type stuff. Like there's a there's a throwaway comment when uh, I think postal dudes at the bank or the welfare office, and there's like some oh. comment about how like the borders are closed forever yeah. or something like that. It's it's very uh you know it might even be dystopian kind of a dystopian. Yeah, I was gonna say the stuff that's on TV is what also gives it that Southland Tales energy. Mm-hmm. It's like the absurd news headlines that pop up. One is like the battle between Tom Cruise and Sanity or something like that, yeah. which is like, you know, come on, that's not funny. It's just yeah. it's really bad. He's just making a lot of bad jokes. That's the majority mm. of this movie. Yeah, and it's not as like even formally as interesting as Southland oh, Tales. Oh, of course not. Yeah, no. it's just like it's it, not even close. Yeah, it's it's like it's not completely inept because it's not like ugly and like hard to look at. But I mean, the action is really bad. But the it, when it's just in conversation, you know, it's presented decent enough. Mm-hmm. It's watchable. It's really the content that's just despicable <laughs> mm-hmm. and you had to speak on that uh i think maybe more so in the first half of the movie it kind of relies on these wipe transitions which are garish yeah you know, just yeah it really really degrades this movie even down even further yeah the editing's really bad there's accompanying sound effects for those wipe editings there's also accompanying sound effects for the uh like the chirons that pop up that type out like the locations and stuff and they kind of have the same typewriter feel as, I believe, Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading does it like digital, like government type, but it's the same noises. And that th- these films came out in the same year. So something was in the air. Both starring, well, not starring, both featuring J.K. Simmons. In this is true. Yeah. So we should talk about J.K. Simmons. He pops up in front of a convenience store that is being used mm-hmm. as a Taliban hideout. This is one of the, the major players of the film is the Taliban. J.K. Simmons is out there uh, representing a new political party, the Fuck You Party. It's pretty uh, edgy, man. <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, he's angry. He's fed up with everybody. He just wants to say, fuck you. And J.K. Simmons is the right man for the role, I guess. Uh, but a uh, suicide bomber kills him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's on screen for maybe a total of 30 seconds, I would say. 45 seconds. Yeah, over 15 minutes, oh. though. <laughs> yeah, over yeah, over the time of 15 minutes. I did kind of like the stuff how you're saying how the moon landing was fake or whatever. It kind of yeah. added like there's directions that Bull goes down that makes that kind of fools me while I'm watching it that like this has the potential oh, to be sure. a good movie. During I, his stump speech, he says like all of the major TV networks are owned by like a Christian cult in Atlanta and it's like, well, it's pretty damn. close to true. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, then he says some dumb shit also. Yes. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the like few strong performances that there are in the film Mm -hmm. i feel like guide like a lot of the weaker material in the sense of like making it seem like there might be something there like Mm -hmm. dave foley's character Mm -hmm. of just being like so perfectly like apathetic and detached and like 
not giving a shit at all works so well with like the vibe of the film. Mm-hmm. I think the Vern Troyer appearance again just like adds like a little bit of like the quirkiness and like also like you can see like I don't know. It's a it's a funny choice of like a big celebrity at the time. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we should get to Dave Foley. So Dave Foley's yeah. performance, he's very chilled out. He does look like he's giving the least amount of effort of anyone on screen, which I think really works mm-hmm. because this is a film that should be approached with a lackadaisical energy instead of the maniacal energy <laughs> that in Bull your face. approaches. Yeah, very in your face. I couldn't think of the right word for it there. But Dave Foley's character uncle dave as he's called runs the other kind of major organization uh, that opposes the taliban they're after the same thing you know the denomination of organic monotheism and it's kind of a new agey organic cult version of christianity uh but it is more than anything a cult and it's a cult that presents itself as a non-profit and is used for its cult leader to just have sex with all of the young women and then they get in a lot of tax trouble. And longtime uh, goers of the Los Angeles repertory cinema scene may remember a certain institution that reminds them of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not going to name names mm-hmm. here, but. Uh, <laughs> and shame on them. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know why yeah. I had to go down yeah, that well, route. Yeah. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, it's fine. <laughs> go back to that. I one. also <laughs> talked about that in the version that was lost. <laughs> I had to get it on the record. <laughs> that That religion cult. Uh, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but I, I have to bring it up. It reminds me of a line in The Devil Probably mm-hmm. where uh, during the church scene, I think so one character says, I don't even really know, but the Christianity of the future will be without religion. And lo and, lo and behold, we have it right there. Yeah, ri- it right there. So just saying. Yeah, no, I think it definitely it has a couple of similar things on its mind but approaching it in very different ways. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There is the connective tissue. You know, there's the obvious connective tissue between these two films, but, oh boy, are Bull and Brisson so fucking different. Uh, On on every aesthetic and ideological level, just so far apart from each other. We couldn't have picked more polar opposites but thank you mm-hmm. very much malcolm for programming this <laughs> yeah. double feature we should say well that's that's what's great about this double feature that i made which you know i did a good job in, is that they they are so dissimilar but you know despite everything there is a thread between them it is about the end of the world and you know how we deal with it well for each like there all you need for a movie is a girl and a gun oh and yeah <laughs> bull knows this <laughs> There's a lot of like I while watching Postal, I was just like, I feel like my main thing was just to like connect the devil probably to it by any means possible. Just watching scene by scene. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. So this organization, the denomination of organic monotheism, uh, which is of course an acronym for Doom, they are in a lot of trouble. They need to pay off their taxes, or everyone's going to jail. So they get tipped off as well as the Taliban also gets tipped off on a shipment of some dolls that are coming in. So these these new toy dolls, they're very there's a high demand for them because I guess one shipment of them got destroyed. So they're in low quantity and everybody wants them and what are they? The crotchy. Crotchy uh, <laughs> a literal dick and balls and well not literal, but uh it's uh, a stuffed dick and balls. Stuffed dick and balls. You know, it's all cotton and shit like that. But there's like a <laughs> string you could pull on and it has catchphrases like, 
my dad fucks me or something like that. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't Vern remember the specifics. Yeah, by Vern Troyer. It is Vern Troyer's voice. And I believe the line is, only my dad and my priest can touch me there. So, yeah, that's funnier than what I said. So. <laughs> it's actually less funny. It's so bad. <laughs> All of the joke writing in this movie is just like a 13-year-old who is watching Family Guy while writing and just like kind of simultaneously writing his own jokes and kind of copying what he hears. Yeah, back, you know, it's kind of like nowadays kids when they write shit, like they put on lo-fi, anime, hip-hop, 24-7 streams. Back in 07, you just you just put on Family Guy and zone out, get into your creative space. I mean, uh, going in line with that like real Family Guy, South Park sensibility, I think leads... When the Taliban and uh, Dave Foley's cult uh, ultimately meet up uh, over the crotchy dolls, uh, they do it at a German theme park. Yeah. Where Bowl there makes an appearance. As himself, of Mm -hmm. course. Godardian. Yeah, a very Godardian appearance, answering the tough questions about his films. And the funding. Yeah, it's really self-indulgent, and like I wanted it to be a good thing, but it's just he's such an annoying presence Mm -hmm. and he's just like, it's a very Lars von Trier. Like uh, the only thing I could really think of with him talking about how fucked up his films are and how devilish he is during this scene is before special screenings of the uncut version of the house that Jack built. You get a little video of uh, Matt Dillon and Von Trier saying that, you know, the film you're about to view is very fucked up and twisted. (laughs) Well, well literally if you think about it, that whole thing about Von Trier and Can, you know, saying, I don't know, made some sort of remark on not. Did you say about I was Hitler. a Nazi? No, he or, just says like Hitler was like chill. Oh, Hitler was chill. Well, Bolo does it maybe four years earlier in his own film. You yeah. Know, admitting that his uh, films are funded by Nazi gold. Yeah. You know, so, Von, you know, as hack as that kind of comes across in the movie, Von Trier did kind of steal that and remix it for a French audience. And Bolo takes it even further. He says he's attracted to kids in the audience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what makes the Which, reporter. Yeah, totally break down. Yeah. That one, that one, that one hit for me. Yeah. I get a little horny here on stage sometimes. If you see the crowd and all the children, that's you know, if you push the envelope, you know, you know, twenty times, one out of twenty times, you're just gonna get me. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Like if I, I, I will not lie. I watched an episode of Family Guy in the background a couple weeks ago for the first time in. Let's see, I'm 24 now, probably 10 years since I've seen an episode mm-hmm. of Family Guy. It was not good. I would rate yeah. it about a 3 out of 10. But in the 22-minute runtime, I would say there were approximately one and three quarters of a good joke. Mm-hmm. I'd rather watch Family Guy than like just some random Netflix sitcom. Yeah, and that show is literally all jokes. Yeah. So if there's like almost two good jokes a show, that's yeah, fine for zone-out time. Yeah, you know? exactly. So Uwe Boll <laughs> hits on a kind of similar level, but you're not supposed to watch a movie in zone-out mode, really. Like, no. I, I don't know. It doesn't really work like that for me. No, definitely. And the comparison to family, you know, even though I'm singing here, singing the praises of Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> the Yeah, the comparison to Family Guy is definitely apt. And they're both, these are both movies with, like, a lot. It's pretty much, I feel like Boll's only interested in telling you his jokes. Like, everything is just to produce a joke he, he's told or heard like it heard on twitter heard on or twitter 4chan. that's yeah. a, that's the worst part about this to me is that a lot of these jokes feel like just political opinions people had in the mid-2000s or like just comedy that was touched on upon at the time so it's just like it kind of just reminds you of all the bad opinions people had back in the time and it's kind of encapsulated into this one movie yeah, I feel like you've actually you've you've got a good idea cooking in my head. It's Ooh. okay. Um, Bowl 
live action Family Guy movie. <laughs> oh my goodness! You, you get polls. Real life Peter Griffin. Peter Griffin impersonator. Peter Griffin. <laughs> oh shit! Um, and then maybe like Susan Sarandon, Lois. Ooh, that could work. Into now it. the hardest casting of all has got to be Quagmire. Quagmire. Uh, uh, okay, it's a poll for bowl. Rob Schneider. Kevin Spacey. Rob, oh, oh. <laughs> I think yeah. that's good. I, I I'll pocket Rob <laughs> Schneider for later. He'll, uh, he'll come up in the Family Guy verse. We'll cast this later. Maybe Quag- that'll be yeah. on our second episode. Yeah. We'll cast the Family Guy live action movie. Quagmire and Kevin Spacey do kind of look alike. Oh. <laughs> 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 There is an episode of Family Guy where Quagmire like wants to be like a chef and he gets really good at cooking and that's like the the Let Me Be Frank video. He's like in the kitchen preparing oh. a meal, right? Yeah. I anyway, we should so get much. back on topic. So, <laughs> okay, yeah. So at this Germany uh, land, this Germany theme park with a lot of mm. Nazi imagery. Uh, well, no, the the Doom cult they dress up as Nazis to get by security. Yeah, they yeah. all dress up as little Hitlers, which is weird because like it's like an Oktoberfest type Germany themed <laughs> thing. And then these Nazis roll up, and the security's like, "Oh yeah, let that." They're of course, yeah. Maybe at the, like I guess that's maybe funny. That yeah. was one that hit for me. Also, kind of interesting. This is like definitely because in Germany, I know they teach in the schools to be very sensitive towards World War Two and yeah, all that stuff. So. This is definitely bold. It is like maybe most reactionary, just being like, I want to depict Nazism. Like I like just he just wants to do that. He's an online edge lord. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that's all they want to do is like have Hitler in their username. True. Yeah. To be honest, though, I'm like I don't I don't know Bull's, uh filmography that well, but I feel like this might not be the first time he's depict Nazism. So. Oh, I'm sure it's yeah. like yeah, we're all coming from the place. Is this your first bowl? This is my first bowl. You too. Yeah, first. Yeah, all I know first about time him, I've smoked a bowl. Yeah, this is the first <laughs> I've seen from him other than like his online posts. Oh yeah, yeah. He followed me on Letterboxd. Holy shit! Yeah. Well, That's... he he started following everyone back. Oh, but okay. I was a first wave. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing to be proud of. <laughs> Before it he is. was shadow banned. He was, I was, I'm kind of like halfway shadow banned, so I have, I have real like sympathy towards people who are censored. So anyway, the Doom cult gets a hold of all the, uh, the boxes of the toys, and Vern Troyer is there at the launch, you know, and then a big gunfight breaks out, and a bunch of children are killed because Marked. both the Taliban and the Doom want the dolls, and they're just shooting everyone. And Vern Troyer is in a suitcase. A lot of uh, dwarf exploitation, little dwarf person exploitation. True. It's it's that actually is it's not handled very well, and no. you can tell Vern Troyer is like legitimately not having fun with it, but still trying. Yeah, He's still trying. And the movie does treat him very poorly. Yeah, they make him get like tossed, like they toss yeah. him from one guy to another. Yeah, and you know, not at least he he's smoking weed in the suitcase that's what i meant <laughs> when by he gives little people agency he has that's the agency true. to smoke weed and chill out yeah. yeah he has i do like the image of him with like the light up uh dildo and the joint yeah that is very <laughs> it's a very powerful image you uh, could get four really good images post this on twitter and be like this is the best movie i've yeah. ever seen oh no yeah for sure yeah. <laughs> So yeah, this movie is just to pile on the hate streak. Like it's really against disabled people and the homeless as well. Like it, it's one of those things that like uh, when you ask the wrong person about the homelessness crisis, Ooh. and they're like, "Yeah, there is a fucking problem, <laughs> all right." You know? uh, yeah, like he literally crawls over like a disabled, like uh, seemingly homeless man to break into a truck. The 
when I say he, I'm talking about Postal Dude, the main character. You find out later that that seemingly homeless man is actually like in the pocket and literally in the garage of the cop who shot a lady earlier. And they're like running a scheme of yeah. sorts together, but it's not really a scheme because the man is like severely disabled from an accident the cop was involved with, but he's just like putting him into indentured servitude for him. It's Which, really terrible. It's so grim. And it's one of those things that are so hateful that like it almost wraps around into being like good for me again or something like real that. horseshoe theory hours. Real horseshoe. <laughs> th- it's just like it's just like the. It's just so extreme. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that's that's so like fucked up dude, yeah ball, you're fucked up dude you're a <laughs> fucked up individual i mean no i agree because it's just like it's one of those things that's just like so cartoonish in how yeah a- a- exaggerated it is where it's like if i feel like bowl had any hint of intention yeah it, like or like not that like because it too often with just like the mean-spirited nature of the film mm-hmm. you can see like bowl is on just the side of like hating shit yeah yeah, and that's I guess that's that's ultimately why some of these concepts don't work. Like go back to the fat wife like when the postal dude comes back and to see, you know, his fat wife um having sex with another man. The trailer's, you know, rocking pretty hard and, and like it just that's kind of like that's almost like I kind of like that almost, but just then you see the fat wife and there's, you know, plenty more jokes and Yeah, it's just all at her. It's like yeah. The, yeah. The image of the trailer in a vacuum, the image of this dude, the main character who you really hate, Mm -hmm. coming home to his trailer, like rocking, like cartoonishly, is kind of funny. Yeah. And then when it becomes, it's like, no, it's because his wife's, you know, this, you know, fat chick. Yeah. That's the the (laughs) worst thing you can possibly be in this world. Oh, yeah. And that's, I I think this was in the deleted part, or maybe it's in this one. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. There are two cuts of the film. I watched the director's cut, which is uh, 118 whole minutes. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. Has a good 20 minutes on the uh, edition that's on Amazon Prime. Bull's anti-consumerist streak really is just represented like you, he's, you see like consumerism is represented by fat people, basically. And that's yeah. about as woke as Bull gets. Yeah, it's really rough. Fat. Yeah. So anyway, they uh, it all blows up. Everyone's you know chasing each other. Everyone is kind of betraying each other. There's a secret bomb shelter in the Doom cult where Vern Troyer is locked up with some monkeys. The cult tries to do some you know world extinction thing by getting a virus. Uh, then you know the shift turns from the toys to a virus mm-hmm. yeah it's also like lazily thrown together because it's like so convoluted after that midpoint action scene well i mean mm-hmm. it's just like the crotchy dolls in general it's just like are it's like okay they they all conceivably have found this for for no like r- thread or reason that's tied into the film yeah it's mm-hmm. just like like if it also felt like it was making fun of how slapped together the film was it like a little like it would i Mm -hmm. feel like it would do a little bit more for me but it just kind of like it's it just more so than poking fun at being shitty it just is shitty yeah and then you you really get uve bull showing his true colors some more when they're in that in that bomb shelter like you know uh uncle dave is like outed i guess in a really homophobic way is he really like outed though or is he like trying to manipulate i don't even know what's going on in that scene 
this is the point where I was like almost in full zone out mode. And then I remembered mm-hmm. I have to watch this movie for the podcast. Do it I for the podcast, man. I really wanted to shut that. Like if we weren't doing it for the pod, I would have shut it off after an hour 20 or so. Like mm-hmm. I would have been like, all right, you know, I got the gist of it. Yeah. I'll log it without a star rating on Letterboxd, Ooh. you know? Yeah. But I had to, f- I had, uh, had to do the whole thing. <laughs> and it's, you know, I bet you, you know, even though you hated it, I bet there's some sort of reward you could find out of finishing this movie. Yeah, of course there was a reward. Yeah, I got to do a whole fucking podcast about it. A whole hour of content <laughs> for the loyal listeners. Uh, so yeah, it ends then with Postal Dude and Coffee Shop Girl. Oh, we didn't even talk coffee about shop Coffee Shop Girl. Girl. Fuck, dude. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's the most mid-2000s thing about the movie. It's like the <laughs> yeah. anchor at coffee shops. Yeah, the the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, uh, the barista who like has freaking had it up to here with these indecisive customers and uh, is going to take it out with her freaking fists and a gun. She also is pretty nice with the pistol. Uh, so mm. she's really cool. It really ends with the gamer's fantasy. You know, you get the hot girl in your seat, in the passenger seat of the car. And you got the dog in the back because dogs are fucking, you know. Epic. Yeah, it is really an epic <laughs> win for the hero. Yo, dogs, those things are fucking epic, dude. That's yeah. what's up. That is what's up. And, like all the music during like the song, the parts of like heist or like intrigue kind of, it feels very much a rip off of the Oceans trilogy, like as if Uwe Boll typed into YouTube Cliff Martinez type beat. And it's really just bad on that level. The music, the editing, so many of the technical aspects that make up a film are just so severely lacking. But maybe none more than the main actor, Postal Dude. Mm-hmm. He is so terrible. Ginger lead actor, you know. Yeah, it's. I haven't seen. I just realized I was. This kind of almost unrelated, but I was like, I haven't seen a movie where the lead person has red hair in a long while. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and this is a very poor uh, ginger representation. Yeah. True. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our thoughts on Postal. We will be back. Well, I guess. Uh, yeah, we all thought it sucked, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I almost while watching it. There's like 10 minutes. I'm like, this could, this is like kind of good, right? And then uh, you just, you're hit with 10 more jokes and you're, just, you're over it. Yeah. All right. We'll be back for The Devil Probably. You know, I knew this one girl who thought sperm was medicine. All she wanted to do was suck cock. Then she got three little children. So she used to put sperm into their bottles to build up their immune system. They all got AIDS. And we're back on extended clip. Uh, before we get into the devil, probably you guys watched anything else interesting this week? Because I sure did. Mm-hmm. I had a good week. Uh, the day after we recorded last week, or a couple days after, I guess, I did a little double feature of some Joe Dante, oh. Small Soldiers, one I hadn't seen since I was a wee boy, and Matinee. And both of those are just so good. And you know, so many people have said more than I could possibly say about Joe Dante's satire on, you know, the milita- military industrial complex and capitalism and all that good stuff. And the Cold War specifically during matinee, the, the Cold War paranoia during matinee is as good as I've seen in everything, in anything rather. There is a shocking explosion toward the end that may or may not be a fake out that gave me a similar level of shock to the end of Kiss Me Deadly. And that is a high praise. So, yeah. And I also watched Johnny Toe's Breaking News, which kicked ass. Johnny Toe just can't lose. He's so fucking good. He can't stop winning. I need to... I want to... 
check out i've never watched any joe dante or johnny toe but those are people who interest me heavily oh yeah I actually i'm pretty sure both. i've watched one dante movie just like as a child or something looney tunes back in yeah action. yeah yeah i watched that plenty actually yeah, that's so. a badass movie yeah i i watched i watched a lot of movies this weekend but one i wanted to talk about is 1999's varsity blues um put this on for a good time just you know just maybe even zoning out but it, it kind of caught me by surprise how well made it was in 1999 i feel like there's a lot of movies about like how the suburbs suck and everyone's the same yeah and the end of history the end of history and varsity blues is one of those movies and i i you know i kind of i need to rewatch virgin suicides but like you know this is my armand white type of hot take where i i, t- I take it over american beauty oh for virgin sure. suicides and there's nothing you know it doesn't really tackle any subject too heavy but it, you know, it has, its humor is mostly funny if dated, and you know, its melodrama is well handled, and it's every everything's just, you know, also, also and I'm kind of rambling here, but it really probably the strongest aspect of this movie is kind of tackling how how uh, football players, football, you know, fucks football players up pretty much. Oh yeah, yeah. football is like the most toxic sport ever. Yeah, yeah, in terms of you know preserving the human body. What about you, JT? All right, let's take a peek here. I uh, to go uh, hop on what you were saying. I also had uh, a little bit of Dante in my life. I uh, watched Gremlins two for the first time. It was a masterpiece. Oh yeah. I feel like where every place uh, Bowl failed to actually remark about something about consumerism and cap and capitalism, uh, Dante just hits all the marks oh, yeah. uh here it's fantastic um but aside from that i like i think last time i mentioned that i watched uh, the first tim burton batman oh of course yeah and then now i followed that up by watching batman returns oh. which like was absolutely spectacular yeah um real fun time i'd say uh biggest takeaway a lot hornier uh, than I anticipated. This is what I've heard. This is, yeah, there are a few critics who have made the case for, uh, is it Batman Returns? Is that the name of it? Yeah. Uh, as a very horny and uh, BDSM adjacent film. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it is like, it's up there. And I think it's my favorite superhero movie. I'm going to, yeah, I'll say that. Nice. Why? I wonder why. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, it has such no stiff reason. competition. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then another uh, to come out with I I don't know if this is even a hot take but a take I watched uh, Goldfinger one of my roommates threw it on and like I don't I'm not like Bond has never been particularly interesting to me it was uh, it was a dud uh, like I like a little bit of Sean Connery uh, his charisma can take something like a little far but not the whole way Bond sucks yeah I've never watched a Bond movie never been interested probably never will. My grandpa gave me a little box set that has four of them, and one of them is called Octopussy. And I always Ooh. thought that was really funny as a kid. Uh, have not broken open that box set. Mm. Uh, Goldfinger had pussy galore, though. So if oh, you shit. like pussy. That's also the name of a pretty cool band that I, I think I remember got their name from a James Bond movie. Anyway, mm-hmm. we're here to talk about The Devil Probably. We're switching it up this week, doing the A movie is the B movie. B movie is the A movie. Look, B is for Brisson. Well, actually, B is also for Bull, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> They're both B movies this week. Which one gets to earn the title of the letter B? 
I would say Brisson owns that shit. Yeah, I guess I'd say so too. And this one's shorter. Well, in That's it's true. A, in the a re, like director's cut version of Postal is longer than this. Actually, I think the regular cut of Postal is also longer. How long, isn't the double probably eighty minutes? Ninety two. Ninety two. Well, it feels like eighty. <laughs> blast, man! It's such a fun time with the movies. So yeah, this is a classic. It's a little intimidating to talk about. It's a really bleak movie. It's a really powerful movie. Mm-hmm. It's about wanting to die because the world is terrible. Mm-hmm. We meet our hero, Charles. <laughs> uh, well, we open on the newspaper headline of his suicide, which is then revealed to be a murder in two quick shots of newspapers. Uh, before that, we get the opening titles on like a really nice shot of just like a boat going in, I think, I guess the French Riviera. I don't know the fucking, you know, <laughs> uh, map of Paris. Uh, yeah. But, you know, there's some good water in Paris for boats to go on. Yeah, it starts right away. I knew. Well, I mean, obviously with Bresson, you're like going to get some. You're in for it. You're in for some heavy, just sad shit. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. like, like right from the get go, it's so like the the title credits are over, like just like almostly like completely black. And you just hear the water. Yeah. And just uh, it's so it is a really dark shot. Yeah. Uh, maybe you should have gotten a better version of the film because I could see it pretty clearly. <laughs> uh, maybe stop uh, hit, uh, covering up the screen with all that weed smoke. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you took that back, man. <laughs> so after uh, it flashes back to six months earlier, so I guess the film takes place over six months. It could feel like it's like two weeks, though, really. Mm-hmm. It's just this guy's whole life is in flux, Charles. And we meet him getting booed out of a political organization's meeting uh, for, I guess, being too radical. Being Yeah, it's saying... But say, also being too nihilistic. Too really. nihilistic, basically saying that all their efforts are not going to amount to anything. Yeah. So he leaves the meeting to go to another meeting, an environmentalist meeting, uh, the Society for the Conservation of Man and His Environment. Yeah. Uh, how about the conservation of all people in their environment thank you very much uh and yeah it's like really disgusting images of you know just like factory farming and oil being dumped into the ocean and uh, you know uh trigger warning for the vegans out there there is like actually some pretty disgusting like seal clubbing footage Mm -hmm. that it's really affecting, though. It made mm-hmm. me legitimately angry while watching the film. And I had seen this before. This is, you know, one of my favorite films. But I forgot about the extent to which it carries out its gruesomeness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that image of the seal clubbing is more affecting violence than all of the Uwe Boll shit combined for me that, from that whole movie. Oh, yeah. Bresson knows that uh, less is more, um, especially when it comes to violence. But it's... What's striking about, you know, there's this is very stark environmental footage with environmentalists, you know, basically spouting facts at you while you see it. So yeah. it's, it's laid out pretty clear for you. And, you know, I'll just say none of these facts are positives, yeah, not no, fun facts. It's talking about how our world is going to be uninhabitable. You know, characters say very blatantly that future generations will pay for this. This is a movie from 1977. Guess what? We're in that next generation and we're fucking paying for it. Mm. We're more aware of everything going on than ever, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. You know? Yeah. I mean, to make the obvious like contemporary film example, oh, yeah. it does have like a lot of like first reformed uh, vibes in that sense. I thought you were going to say an inconvenient truth. No. <laughs> but it is similar to first reform. Yes. 
uh, just in the like environmental uh like sort of nihilism yeah of course uh-huh. going down the rabbit him watching the like uh 16 millimeter footage being projected of the environmental terrors that are happening at mm-hmm. the hands of corporations they make that also very clear that this is all for the gains of capital you know mm-hmm. uh that's just like yeah, Ethan Hawke going through an internet rabbit hole of facts about global warming. Yeah, it's terrible. Definitely. And it's pe- great from a film perspective. No, yeah. Both movies I love. Schrader pulls a lot from Bres- Bresson. Oh, of course, like, yeah. He wrote a book he, a third about yeah. Bresson, yeah. I feel like half of his movies have the pickpocket ending. Um, yeah, for sure, yeah. <laughs> like, he's... He, Schrader... I love Schrader, and, but he loves to remake, like, the same movie over... Oh, for sure, again. yeah. He wrote that thing on Facebook when people started talking about incels. You know, I've been making the <laughs> incel movie for my whole career. And this movie definitely rings true of that. It's like, he's not an incel, though, because oh, we yeah, should make fucking, it clear. He fucks. He like, fucks. He, this whole movie is just like hot, disillusioned young people who fuck each other because that's like the only way they can feel anything mm-hmm. other than heroin is fucking each other. Yeah, you have to I think it proves that one of the best ways uh, to get girls is to just be very suicidal and depressive. Yeah. yeah. But you have to like show up at the political meetings and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Course, yeah. And sulk. This isn't going to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you just see his life kind of fall apart. He has like a really like ineffectual love triangle situation going on. One of the girls is, like, the girlfriend of his friend as well, but they're just like, yeah, I mean, if it makes him not want to kill himself, he can sleep with my girlfriend, I guess. Uh, and then they want to get married. He's like, oh, this is the only way out. Mm-hmm. It's really bleak, and it it really is kind of touching when he gets into his, you know, 15 minutes of romanticism, thinking that marrying Alberta is going to, you know, make him not want to kill himself and then just being reminded, you know, going to another environmentalist meeting and just seeing that footage again. It's like, yeah, no, the world's going to end and who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie has an overwhelming sense of um, things being depicted and them not mattering as much as, you know, like, you know, someone getting cucked. That's a pretty dramatic event. Of yeah. course, this, there's no dramatics here, really. It's, yeah. it made, it's made to feel like things don't matter and no matter what choice you make, it's going to all leads to the, you know path of misery yeah in terms of like how dramatized these situations are it's acted out in that classic person style where he's wearing down the actors until the lines seem to have no meaning at all Mm -hmm. and that's the take that he uses and so they're very robotic and everyone is reflecting the existential dread of the main character every single person that you meet the bus driver the strangers that you come across the cops and it ad- it goes to this really slow style that between this and, of course, his final film, L'Argent, is, you know, at a snail pace, but it's glorious for that reason. Uh, it really bears itself out, like, so wonderfully in terms of aesthetics matching ideology for a film. There's really no aesthetic represent- representation of the dread of knowing that the world that you live in is falling apart like the devil probably. Oh, yeah. I I think one of its main uh, techniques that it uses is how it films a lot of people's waists or, yeah. like, the back of their heads. A lot of decapitations, too. Decapitations. Like a lot of neck down stuff or just yeah. waist down. Yeah. Yeah, kind of just, uh, you know, little film theory 101. But uh, I feel like, you know, that's, like, him showing how, you know, the capitalist society we live in kind of dehumanizes us. To yeah, a certain of course. Extent. Yeah. 
And there's a lot of, you know, to just further expand on the style, there's a lot of lingering shots of doors, you know, door handles, mm-hmm. uh, people entering and exiting a door. You'll see the door closed for about four or five seconds and then it opens and the person enters the room and they shut it, walk out of frame, get another three or four seconds and then the cut. And that's, you know, Brisson had been building a style upon that since the 50s. Uh, but now in this late period where he's older and just more disillusioned as reflected in the content of this film, he's drawing out that slow style more and more. And you really just have to luxuriate in like these really incredible compositions. You know, he makes the mundane, like an elevator handle, just look really beautiful because you're forced to stare at it for five seconds longer than you're supposed to. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like there's such a like empty like and bitter sense of just uh, like against modernity mm-hmm. that is just like he handles in such like a beautiful way that it never like you're always like on board for his critique and it, it's so like i mean like it's weird to describe something so cynical as empathetic but i feel like it has like such a like a yeah, heart for sure <laughs> it's it really achieves what i don't think he does in something like muchette i would yeah. say muchette's maybe my least favorite of his like feature films because it is just so depressing. Yeah. But you don't really have a way in because it's a kid. I don't know. It's like if I was a kid and I watched Muchette, maybe I would want to fucking kill myself. But <laughs> yeah. I, my age watching Muchette, I was just kind of detached from it too mm. much. And Brisson really, the reason I love him is because he has such a cold style that somehow I'm still able to emotionally latch on to. Mm-hmm. And I think what's what's kind of... Uh, empathetic and you know about this depiction is that you know kind of maybe the cynicism that charles feel is kind of one you know a lot of people feel but haven't really you know wasn't really represented so acutely up until that time yeah so he continues to you know be involved uh in all types of schemes he's you know hanging out with people by the water uh charles is homeless we should say yeah he stays you know under a bridge with other homeless people some of them play music some evil hippies yeah some evil hippies who are just rambling and playing their drum circles and Mm -hmm. doing drugs and that's why he that's where he finds some heroin after a Mm -hmm. while that's where he finds the gun yeah i I feel like yeah the depiction of the evil hippies is kind of brasson you know showing how you know the current way we live is kind of soured us all and even like these free loving people have guns ready yeah exactly <laughs> because yeah it's just how fucked up the world around them mm-hmm. is yeah one thing i want to definitely bring up is that like this has like i think the best title drop scene like i that oh, i've yeah. ever I was, seen I oh yeah to talk about that scene too so he's with his friend whose name i can't quite remember right now but his mm. friend who helps him through the movie his male friend and they are on the bus after a political meeting and they're you know they're doing the discourse on the bus. And before we get to that, we get some really incredible shots of just like the procedure of the bus. You see mm-hmm. the bus driver press the button to open the door. The door is open. You get a really nice shot on the reflecting like mirror watching the people walk in. And in the same frame, you know, you see their hands on the bar. Uh, and then you get another close up on the hands uh, just on the bar. Those people who are standing up on the bus. And then you get our main characters talking about how futile the efforts of politicians are. And you get a guy, you know, an onlooker or fellow bus, ri- mm-hmm. bus rider 
turn around and, you know, give more of a conventional answer about, you know, you can't blame a certain person. You know, we're all in this together as Frenchmen, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Who's making a mockery of humanity? Who's <laughs> leading us along by the nose? And then there's the response to the that. devil, probably. Yeah. The diable, probably more. <laughs> uh, That's how he says it in the movie. Yeah. No, he says it much better uh, and like more nonsensey. Uh, this is one of those classic movies where like the enunciation kind of goes back and forth because the actors are so dead from repeating the lines so many times that sometimes you also, as the viewer, get that feeling where the lines don't have meaning and they're just Mm kind of like, you know, there's subtitles, obviously. But judging by the inflection of the actors, you really get the sense of nothingness from these words that are supposed to mean a lot. So he then just continues to go down the rabbit hole. Love can't save him. Uh, Drugs can't save him. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a really nice procedural kind of thing similar to the procedural element of pickpocket that kind of shows you how to pickpocket yeah there's kind of a how to buy heroin and do it mm-hmm. uh where you know you get the close-ups on the hands exchanging money mm-hmm. he gets the hand close-up you know pulling the bag out from the sewer yeah and then you know going to the pharmacy to buy needles you know a bunch of really nice insert shots there and then he finally gets his druggy friend to kill him he uh buys a gun go down the subway you know you kind of know what's coming and you get this last like 10 minutes of the film of them just riding the subways through Paris, getting to the graveyard where he wants to die. Oh yeah. He does that very like French thing of like getting, is it like a glass of brandy? Oh yeah. Like he, uh, before he kills himself. It's just a dreadful 10 minutes really, but shot so beautifully. You get like the lights of the subway in the city when they're outside, just like reflections off cars and trains just look really beautiful. And then they get to the cemetery. And while Charles is trying to muster up some final thoughts, he's shot mid sentence. Mm-hmm. And that's how the film ends. His friend runs away, and that's how the film ends. Yeah, real dark ending. Yeah. <laughs> no redemption for the hero. No redemption for the hero. And at the end, his friend, he goes, you know, he shoots him and takes the money out of his jacket. And I feel there's a big uh, emphasis on kind of like the transactional. relationships that influence our life literally everything it gets the same close-up treatment every transaction in this film has like the close-up of hands exchanging money which of course will be expanded upon further in his next and final film l'argent but Mm -hmm. yeah and you know it's and it's things you wouldn't you know even expect you know of course drugs of course that's going to be transactional but everything's depicted in a very transactional sense i guess even like the therapy scene yeah for example which ult- like ultimately results in the therapist telling him like you want to kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> therapist scene is great. He is not having it at all. Charles and the therapist both mm-hmm. not having it all. Mm-hmm. Charles eventually walks up to the therapist's desk, grabs a cigarette from his case, and then grabs the lighter. And the therapist has this huge lighter that's like the size of a grenade, <laughs> and he lights it so aggressively with like his hair hanging down. It's just the most badass shit. Mm-hmm. Like it's not actually cool, but it made it seem really cool i don't know and he just like takes one hit of the sig and you know ashes it he kind of reminds me that his gestures kind of remind me of like well wiley wiggins in like uh dazed and confused in waking life uh the way he like flips his hair a little bit and like touches his face a little too much <laughs> yeah yeah so that basically wraps up our thoughts on the devil probably mm-hmm. is there anything else you guys wanted to add no we're doing two recordings today to be transparent True. malcolm's going out of town we're about to record a second uh, a fun call-in episode uh it's going to be a lot of fun uh we're gonna do old school talk radio so stay tuned for that next week 
If you want to get in touch with us, uh, extendedclippodcast at gmail.com, at extendedclip69 on Twitter. My own Twitter is at iPod underscore video. Bitch face palace, no spaces. Uh, tall boy, thin legs. All right, great. Well, we'll see you next time, sweeties.